If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua 3, verse 1, and we will pick up there in a few minutes. If you've been with us the last few months, you know that we've been in a series called Apostolic Foundations, in which we contemplate what it looks like to be a people who are rooted and grounded in the gospel who have a clear picture of their identity in Christ and who are building all of life on that foundation, on the same foundation that Paul and uh, the other apostles in the early church laid in every church that they went to. They said, this is the foundation, build on this. Uh, And then off of that foundation, we are to um, go into the world and live out our identity. Once we know who we are in Christ and we're grounded in the gospel, then we'll know who to be and how to act in the world. To go and live out your identity, to act out of who you already are as the family of God on the mission of God. Two weeks ago, we shared a big announcement that our family is feeling a fresh call from the Lord to move to the Philippines and to come alongside some of our partners that we have in the Philippines and planting churches and raising up new young leaders. But with that call comes a major change for our family and some major changes for the church as well in the months that lie ahead. And I pointed out last week that the global mission of God has always required change, and it always will. It's always required change, and it always will. And as a result of that, and in light of the changes that are happening, both last week and this week, we are exploring what it looks like to embrace change well, uh, to step into kingdom-centered change in a healthy way, uh, to navigate that process well, recognizing that change is part and parcel of the global kingdom of God. From the beginning, God's people have always been on the move. If you go all the way back to the beginning, God told Adam and Eve to multiply and spread out and fill the earth. They were to be on the move. But then as Noah and uh, his family emerged from the flood, God again says, multiply and spread out and fill the earth. And a few chapters later, after the Tower of Babel, the people are sort of forced, but led to again spread out and fill the earth. And ultimately, Jesus tells his disciples, to multiply and to spread out and to fill the earth. Going all the way back to chapter 12 in Genesis, which we've been looking at from different angles over the last few weeks, uh, God told Abraham to leave his country. He said, leave your country, your people, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. He's on the move for the sake of the mission of God. But then as you look at his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, they're also on the move. And Jacob's 12 sons are on the move. And later the 12 tribes of Israel that descend from those sons are again on the move as God constantly leads his people down new paths to new lands. And it's the same with Jesus and the disciples what he calls them out of, what he calls them to, the way he propels them into the world, 
In fact, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, so you step into the book of Acts and you see the early church, they were a people on the move. There was always stuff that was shifting and changing as people were called in different directions. Change was in the air as you begin reading the book of Acts. As you have Paul and Barnabas and others who are constantly going to new cities and starting new communities centered around Jesus and then eventually handing over the leadership of those churches and communities and going to a new place to start again as the kingdom of God began expanding across the ancient world. An expanding kingdom requires change. And because our church is in a unique season of kingdom-centered change, as God is leading us as a community down new paths to new lands, I want to highlight for us this morning the importance of being rooted in God in seasons of change. And you might say, well, Matt, aren't we always supposed to be rooted in God? Aren't we always supposed to be abiding in Him? And the answer is, of course, yes. We are always supposed to be doing that as the people of God. And yet, as we open the pages of Scripture, we see that there's a unique call in seasons of change or loss or transition to be rooted in God, to stick close to Him, to abide in Him, to to grow in our awareness of His presence, with us, of His grace for us, of our identity in Him. Uh, Stick close to me, God says, especially in seasons of change or difficulty or uncertainty. And that really hit home for me last week as I was reading these verses that we're about to read this morning in Joshua 3. And the context for these verses is that the people of God are in a season of transition, a season of change. They are on the move, and uh, they have recently been pulled out of their homes in Egypt, out of those places of familiarity and stability uh, that they had been in for centuries. Now they're out in a new landscape. They've been in the desert for 40 years. Imagine 40 years of wandering and constant change. Where are we going today? Are we staying here a few more days? Are we leaving to go to another place? Constantly changing. Now they're at the end of those 40 years. Their hearts are prepared to receive the new thing. They're at the edge of the promised land, and they're prepping to step into something that's totally new. So it's a new path into a new land that you've never been to before. But follow me, I'm leading you there. And along with that uh, transition out of the desert and into the new land, uh, in addition to that, there's a transition in leadership. The only leader this new community has ever known is Moses. He's now handing that off to Joshua. So there's a transition in leadership, a transition into a new land, down a new path. And in this key moment of new leadership and new lands and a great change that God is bringing about, God essentially says to his people, hey, stick close to me through this change and transition, for you have not passed this way before. This is going to be a new thing for you, so there's a unique call to stick close to me. It's more important than ever, God is saying to be rooted in me, and to be close to me in this moment. I feel that's a word for our church in this season, something God is calling us to. But I want to start by reading these verses in Joshua 3, starting in verse 1. Uh, This is what it looked like for the Israelites. 
Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. Shittim? From a certain place. And they went to the Jordan, to the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing over. They're getting ready to cross into the promised land. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, which is the focal point of God's presence among them, and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. He's saying, follow God's presence into the new land. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Before we go on, I'll ask you to join me in prayer. Lord, we lay our lives before you. We lay our futures before you. And uh, we say... um, that we trust you, we proclaim our love for you, and ask that you would increase that love. We, we trust you, Lord. Most of us in this room have trusted you with uh, our lives, with eternity. We trust you in your cross and resurrection, but we want to trust you more with our lives. So would you increase our trust? Would you increase our love? Would you increase our willingness to follow you down new paths to new lands. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. After living many decades in the same home, our neighbor, Miss Barbara, an elderly woman of 90, recently moved to Arizona to be with her adult children to receive better care in her old age, and this is my sneaking suspicion, maybe to avoid a bit of the cold as well. To anyone who met her in passing during her many decades living on Windsor Street, Ms. Barbara would have seemed an ordinary citizen, an elderly African-American woman with a kind voice and a twinkle in her eye. She loved the neighborhood children. She paid her taxes. She cared for her rose bushes and went to church on Sunday. But Miss Barbara was no ordinary citizen. Uh, Miss Barbara had a story to tell. For her full name was Barbara Anderson, and her son, Michael Anderson, was an astronaut at NASA and a passionate follower of Jesus. He knew the risks, Miss Barbara told us. He knew the risks involved in being an astronaut, and he did it anyways. It was his calling. This is what he was made to do. But on January 16th, 2003, Anderson and six others stepped on board the Columbia Space Shuttle never to step foot on the earth again. Fifteen days later, Miss Barbara watched on national television as the Columbia shuttle blew apart upon re-entry in the outer atmosphere, killing everyone on board. She watched her son die on national television. 
in one of the worst accidents in the history of NASA. And in the moment that she received the news, Miss Barbara stood up and she went into the bathroom and locked the door and got on her knees and she cried out to God. Lord, that was my son. My only son. The son that I love. And he's gone. I'll never see him again. I'll never hear his voice. But Lord, I'm crying out to you. I need you right now more than ever. I, I cannot carry this alone. I cannot do this alone. I need you to carry this for me. I need you to carry me. I need you to lead me through this. Because I can't. And he did. God showed up in that moment, drew near to her in the midst of her shock and her pain, and began to walk with her into the new world that was her reality. Hours later, as President Bush addressed a shocked nation and thousands tried to comfort shocked families, the Lord was speaking to Miss Barbara. Stick close to me, our God says, for you have not been this way before. This is uncharted territory, and you'll need me now more than ever. She drew near to God, and God drew near to her. But she wasn't the only mother who had lost a son or a daughter that day. Six other mothers were in the same boat, having just watched the Columbia shuttle break apart. And one in particular was close with Miss Barbara, but she went the other way. She um, rejected God in the midst of her loss and disorientation. She became um, bitter, blaming God for what had happened. And, and as a result, she never quite recovered. She never bounced back. She was crushed by what happens to her child and remained a shell of her former self in the decades that followed. And yet here was Miss Barbara, vibrant, full of life, a twinkle in her eye, talking openly about the death of her son with a heart that was healed and full of faith. I know my son, Miss Barbara said. If he knew that shuttle was going down, he would have been preaching the gospel to those other astronauts he was on board with. That's just who he was. Two women suffered the same loss on the same day in the same hour, but they had two different ways of navigating that pain and that loss and the change that it brought. One chose to abide in God, to draw near to Him, and as a result, she bore much fruit 
in the decades that passed. The other chose to distance themselves. They were unable to cope with the change. They, they became cut off from God in a sense. And as a result, they became withdrawn and bitter. They began to wither on the inside and die. I am the vine, Jesus says, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. In other words, you've been cleansed and forgiven, Jesus is telling his followers. But now, Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Saying they become fruitless and worthless in the process. And this was put on full display, I believe, in Miss Barbara's story. One chose to abide in him in the midst of loss, in the midst of change, in the midst of pruning and new seasons and pain. She said, no, I will stand fast in the Lord. And in His love, and in His presence, and in His power. I'm not going to run from the Lord because of this new thing that's happening. I'm going to press into Him instead. I didn't ask for this change. I don't want this change. I feel like my world is spinning around me. But I'm going to choose in this moment to stand in the Lord. And she did. That's what Miss Barbara did. And in the end, as a result of standing in that space, she bore decades of fruit. But her friend went the other way, disconnected, distanced, allowed changes in circumstance to cut off that connection. And in the end, she experienced an, an inner withering and lost decades of fruit. But this isn't just true of Miss Barbara's story. This is true of every story. Of every season of change. Stick close to me, says the Lord, for you have not passed this way before. Abide in me, Jesus says, in seasons of pruning as well as seasons of growth. In every season, I want you to stick close to me. And if you do that and you abide in me, then in the end, you will bear much fruit. Psalm 1 paints a picture of two different people. And the first person that is portrayed is rooted in the world and in the dark patterns of the world. And it says that person uh, be becomes like chaff. They slowly get to a point by being rooted in the world instead of God, where they become uh, dry, dead, shriveled up, withered. 
Psalm 1 says, in the end, they're blown off by the wind. They can't stand before God. They can't stand in the judgment. But there is another person, Psalm 1 says, who's settled in God, who delights in the Lord, whose awareness is on the Lord, who is deeply rooted and abiding. And Psalm 1 says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Notice that Jesus is using some of the same language and imagery when he's talking to his disciples. When trials come, when change comes, when seasons of loss come, those who are not abiding and not rooted in the Lord tend to experience this effect of withering and dying. The leaves of their life begin to shrivel. They cease bearing fruit because their uh, fruit-bearingness and the greenness of their leaves was actually based on external circumstance. It was based on favorable things happening around them. It was based on just the right conditions of soil and weather and rain. If life is just right and, and I'm happy and healthy and financially thriving and everything's going the way it's supposed to go, then I'll bear fruit. Then I'll be happy and joyful and whatever else. But as soon as there's a shift in those things, or change in external circumstances and the environment around me, well, then everything starts to wither. Out goes the fruit. The leaves begin to wither on the branches and start to die. Things start to look really sad simply by a change in the external circumstance or the weather. Not so with those who are abiding, Scripture says. The ones who are abiding, who are rooted in the right thing, are like trees planted next to streams of water. And Jesus extends that to this imagery of living water. Their roots sink down deep into a stream. They, they are connected to a well that will never run dry. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, and you'll never be thirsty again. You'll be able to draw from a source that other people cannot draw from outside of me. And if you're doing that, then when change comes, and when trials come, and when drought comes, we're actually rooted and abiding in something deeper than what the rest of the world has access to. And as a result, even as all that other external stuff shifts, you'll find, oh my gosh, I still have the source of life. I still have uh, this source of water that's available to me in the middle of a cultural or circumstantial drought. You'll even find that, hey, as the occasional storm comes ripping across the landscape, I'm rooted in something deeper. I can weather that storm. The problem is that most of the time, I don't know what I'm rooted in until the storm comes. I think I'm rooted in the right things. I think I'm abiding. Life seems to be going well. And then the storm hits. 
there's a change in external circumstances. Something doesn't go the way that I wanted it to go. There's trouble or loss or heartache or testing or seasons of change and transition. And then I see what I'm actually rooted in. Jesus says it this way. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, who goes and lives this stuff out, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. It was building on the right stuff. It was rooted and grounded in the right things. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, but instead goes and basically lives an average secular lifestyle, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, which in the Middle East, it, their soil, it looks fine. It, looks, it feels firm. It looks fine. It feels fine. It seems solid enough until the storm hits until water hits that type of soil. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So it looks, everything looks good. This Middle Eastern soil, it looks like we can build here. This will be cheaper and faster and easier. Why don't we just do this? Until the rain hits, the changes come, the storm arrives, And then we find out what we're really building on. Now I know. Was I building on the gospel of grace? Was I building on my identity in Christ? Or something else? Was I abiding in Jesus and rooted in Him? Or something else? Was I building on the solid rock of what Jesus says is true? Or was I building on something else? Something shiftier? Was I putting down deep roots into a deep well with living water? Or did I just kind of go and plant the tree of my life wherever I thought it looked good, out in the middle of a dry field? Where it's prone to drought and withering. Sometimes we don't know until that storm hits. I think we got to see this on a a cultural level in real time with COVID. The storm hit, the rains came down, the water began to rise, and it exposed what we were building on. What was I building my life in? What was my hope and my trust in? What was I abiding in? What did you abide in? during those COVID years. If it was social media and the 24-hour news cycle and toxic partisan politics, then you actually got to experience in real time during those years a type of withering based on what you were rooted in. Anxiety, fear, anger, depression, went sweeping unopposed across millions of lives in our nation. Millions of trees experience seasons of fruitlessness. 
millions of houses came crashing down, some of them never to rise again. But in that season of storm and drought and change and trials, you could spot the ones who were abiding. You could spot people who were rooted in something different, whose hope and identity and awareness were in something beyond this world. It, it got to the point where I could tell just by looking at people during those COVID years. Sometimes I would go to meet with somebody and just think in my mind, oh, you poor soul. You're watching a lot of news, aren't you? Three hours a day? Oh, it's five. No, pray for me. You could see the effect that it I could see it on people's faces. I bet I know what you're rooted in right now. You could see it in the clouds above their head. But the opposite was also true. There weren't many Miss Barbaras to be found during the COVID years. But you could spot them in a crowd. You could spot the ones who were rooted in a different reality. Who were drawing water from a deep well. Who were able to stand serene as a non-anxious presence in the midst of a culture that was losing its mind with fear and anxiety. The ones who weren't tossed about like waves in the raging winds of politics. The ones who didn't cower in fear at every news headline and announcement. They were rooted in something else, in a deeper, unchanging reality in the midst of that storm. In fact, one of my favorite pictures from the Gospels is this image of Jesus asleep in the boat in the midst of this storm. And all of the disciples are, are sort of, have this image of them almost racked with fear and anxiety. Waves are slamming against the boat. It's dark. They can't see. They're disoriented. We're going to die. We, there's no way we can make it through this. Just imagine all the things that were um, dominating their hearts in that moment. And, and yet you see Jesus there just sleeping in the boat. I've always found that to be such odd imagery. And that really happened in real time, but I think it's a beautiful image of abiding. What, what was happening with Jesus in that moment? He was saying, I'm not governed by external reality. I'm not governed by the storms of life. I'm not afraid of the things that you're afraid of. I'm, I'm with the Father. I'm rooted in a deeper reality. I'm abiding in His love. I'm trusting in His presence and in His promises and in His character. That's what I'm rooted in. There's a drought out there. I'm good. I really am. I'm good. I'm planted by streams of living water. There's a storm out there raging and threatening, thundering and pounding against the door or the boat. Jesus is saying, I'm good. 
I really am. I'm not just saying that. I've built my house on this solid rock. I have the right foundation, and therefore, I can weather any storm. And so can you. That's his invitation to his disciples. And our minds, we so often say, Lord, we're all going to die. There's no way we can make it through this. Everything's going to go wrong. All my worst fears are going to come to fruition. And what's Jesus saying? Affectionately, he says, oh, oh, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Did you not trust in the Father? Did you not trust in His character and in His promises? Do you not trust in His presence with you? Do you not know the deeper peace that comes from abiding in Him? So as we close this morning, just one question to wrestle with. What would it look like to abide in Jesus in this season of life? Exactly where you're at. With your age, with your gender, and your job demands, and your number of kids, and your number of diapers, and your hours of sleep, and your health issues, or your anxiety and depression, or your family issues, or whatever it is. We're just asking very simply, Jesus, what does it look like for me to abide in you right where I'm at in this season? Some seasons will be easier to abide. Some seasons will be more difficult. I think it's actually in the difficult seasons where Jesus wants to remind us, this is possible. I wouldn't have told you this. I wouldn't have called you to this if it couldn't be done. This is possible. This is possible for you. And I think it's in the most difficult seasons where it becomes the most important. Stick close to me, God says. Abide in me, for you have not passed this way before. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you now as your people in just life, Lord, and all of the ups and downs and difficulties of life, but also as we look at the life of our community, we see a unique season of change. And Lord, we hear that call to draw near to you. I think of how easy it would have been for Miss Barbara to run the other way. To say, Lord, I've gone to church every Sunday and I've prayed the right prayers and I've done the right thing and you did this anyways. She didn't, she didn't go that route. I just love that image of her just surrendering herself to God, saying, God, this is the hardest season to do it in and therefore it becomes the most important season to do it in. And so, Lord, as we draw near to you now, we trust that you're going to draw near to us. And I pray, Lord, that as we just sit um, simply for just a minute, two minutes, whatever it is, and turn our eyes toward you, that you would whisper to us, 
to each one individually, there are a hundred different ways that we could get after this idea of abiding. But maybe you would just lay one on our hearts. Just one thing for each person, whatever it is. Maybe that's something to give up that's distracting us. Maybe that's some time to carve out five minutes a day before we head out the door in the morning or before we lay our head on the pillow at night. Just what is it going to look like to find those touch points to be people whose awareness and love and hope and trust are rooted in you, who have put their roots down so deep that they've struck something that brings life in every season. So Lord, just maybe tell us one thing, tell us the first thing that we can do in this season to get after this idea of abiding in you. We look to you now, Jesus. Love you, we trust you, we worship you. In Jesus' name.